For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's a big week of Thanksgiving football. We've got Packers versus Lions, 49ers versus Seahawks, number one Ohio State versus number three Michigan, and of course, the game of the year, our Black Friday, Iowa versus Nebraska, the lowest over-under point total in college football history. So if you guys head to Bet Online Sportsbook today with the link in the description of this episode, use our promo code Believe B L E A V when you make your first deposit, you can get a fifty percent welcome bonus that goes towards betting under twenty six and a half on Iowa versus Nebraska. Twenty six and a half is the over under, and I guarantee you should bet the under. Bet online where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this fun podcasting thing. You guys can listen however and whenever that you so choose, and we appreciate that. You, you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is that you may be choosing Welcome, 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 everybody. It is time. It is time. It is time. It is time for the fifth annual Take It Easy podcast, Thanksgiving Spectacular. Woo! Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I am so happy to be joining you on Thanksgiving, Thursday, November 23rd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. It probably won't be that time according to your count, because I don't think this episode will be available to the viewing public until the Friday 
of Black Friday, November 24th. So if you're doing Black Friday at 4 a.m. like a crazy person consumed in this capitalistic society that we all exist in and try to do the best we can while continuing to be hypocritical at every turn, if you want to participate in capitalism's greatest holiday, then you can enjoy Black Friday and enjoy this podcast as we talk about some NFL football. We'll dabble in some laughing at the New York Jets coming up a little bit with our friend Juju Talk Sports because good lord, the New York Jets are the exact same godforsaken team that they were back in 2023. Uh, Sorry, 2022. 2023's version is the exact same team as 2022 for the Jets. They have a top 10 defense. They have a team that has a quarterback that probably doesn't belong in the NFL replacing Zach Wilson because I think at this time we can say it's a wrap for Zach Wilson if you get benched once fool me once if you get benched twice for a shitty backup quarterback like Mike White or Trevor Semyon or Tim Boyle fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me that's got to be the end of Zach Wilson's run in the NFL we'll talk about that in a little bit because that game is the Black Friday football game, and Juju and I talked about the Jets and wanted to laugh at the Jets, so we'll share that with you guys. If you want to watch the YouTube clip of it, it's up right now, linked in the description of this episode on Juju's YouTube channel. Super awesome, super fun. Y'all can check that out. Let's talk Thanksgiving football, because this is our fifth annual Thanksgiving extravaganza here on the podcast, and uh, the past couple of years, this podcast has been a little bit mixied because we uh, two years ago we did Thanksgiving in Seattle, so we had to pre-record the Thanksgiving extravaganza. Last year we did it the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, and it turned into kind of this breakdown of the Detroit Lions that included me saying, and I quote, it's a wrap on the Dan Campbell era because when they were 1-6, and six, I was like, look, the coach who goes through the rebuild rarely ever gets to see the fruits of their labor come into focus. And when I said that the team that goes through the rebuild rarely ever gets to the coach who goes through the rebuild rarely ever gets to experience the fruits of their labor pay off in real time. Since I uttered that line to right now, the Detroit Lions have gone like 15 and 3 over their last 18 games, like went from a team that was 1-6 and six to start the season after coming off the year prior going, I think, 3-14. and 14. So that means if I'm doing math correctly in my head, a team that was 4-19 and 19 to begin the Man Campbell era, which, by the way, is basically the same record that Matt Eberflus had with the Chicago Bears to start his tenure, 4-19. and 19. When you go 4-19 and 19 to begin a career, that's the moment where I... And by the way, this was intentional by the Detroit Lions. They were rebuilding this thing down to the studs. They had traded Matt Stafford. They had released some key pieces on the team. They were planning to tear this thing to the ground and tear it to the studs. And so last year was interesting because it was like me repenting for saying that the Detroit Lions were going to... Bound, uh, we're going to fire Man Campbell, and that whole rebuild was officially coming to a close for Detroit. Like since then, they've gone fifteen and three, and Man Campbell has broken a lot of the rules of the coach who goes through the rebuild. Rarely gets to experience the fruits of their labor on that rebuild. He has broken a lot of the rules and a lot of the norms 
when it comes to a traditional rebuild. And part of that is the Detroit Lions drafted some really, really skilled players. And they had some really, really strong coordinator hires. Like Ben Johnson, who's the offensive coordinator there in Detroit. Ben Johnson's going to probably get an NFL head coaching job within the next two years. And Juju and I were kind of doing the calculations off air. And there's like 10 jobs that have the chance to be open this offseason. And not really 10 viable candidates for some of these jobs. So Ben Johnson might end up getting a head coaching job this offseason as the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions. Like in my entire lifetime, I don't think a Lions coordinator has ever ended up getting a position on... I don't think a Lions coordinator has ever gotten a head coaching position or like a promotion in the entire time that I've been alive. It's just, it's such a unique, fun thing to watch happen in real time and and last year's episode was a little different because we were repenting for a lot of our uh, mistakes on the evaluation of the Detroit Lions earlier in the season and then the Detroit Lions who I think finished last year eight and two the rest of the season one of those losses happened to come against the Buffalo Bills on Thanksgiving because the Detroit Lions, in the history of this Thanksgiving extravaganza spectacular show that we do on the Take It Easy podcast, they have never ended up getting, never, one time, a win on Thanksgiving. In the five-year history of us doing this show, the comical sports memes pages that we've ran since we were in 10th grade which was 2016. The pages we've ran since 2016 have never once experienced a Detroit Lions win on Thanksgiving. The last season that the Detroit Lions won a game on Thanksgiving was the year that Tom Brady came back from 28-3 to against the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. Like, it has been a long-ass time since the Detroit Lions won a game on Thanksgiving and what did they do today they came out and put a clunker a stinker a shit show up against the Green Bay Packers and look last week the Detroit Lions should have lost to Chicago and this week they did lose to Green Bay so basically within a span of four games you can match their entire loss total for the entire season for Detroit Within basically a span of four days, they matched their entire season loss total of 10 weeks. And look, I know they beat the Bears. I know you flip results and yada, yada, yada and stuff like that. Look, that that is a game that on the expected win-loss record is going to knock them down a notch. We already know that they're going to win the NFC North. We already know that the Lions are going to be the team hosting their first playoff game since the 1990s. Which is a real goddamn stat, by the way. It's the first time since the 1990s the Detroit Lions are going to host a playoff game. We already know that that's the case. The thing that's interesting to me about the Detroit Lions is how you separate them in a potential matchup against Dallas, against New Orleans, against Seattle, against the teams that are in the same group as them in the NFC, which is like... Group three through six or three through seven of teams that are very good, teams that are going to have a puncher's chance in any playoff game that they play, 
and also are going to be a touchdown underdog when they go on the road at either San Francisco or at the Philadelphia Eagles. Like when you get to the playoffs, teams that have been consistently very good all season don't look as good when they match up against the six teams that you know are really, really good in the NFL. And right now we know who the five to six teams that can win a Super Bowl are. It's Kansas City. It's Philadelphia. It's San Francisco. It's Baltimore. It's Miami. And then it's maybe Detroit and maybe Jacksonville. Those teams are what I would classify as spicy which is like if they win their first playoff game at Ford Field in 30 years, this season is a tremendous success for Detroit. And by the way, they have a pretty damn good chance of doing that because you know who the sixth seed is in the NFC playoffs right now? It's Geno Smith and the Seahawks. A team that, yes, they beat Detroit earlier in the season, but if I gave you a, a playoff matchup of Seattle at Detroit and told you to create a line for that game, the betting line would probably be Detroit four and a half, Detroit five and a half, Detroit six and a half. Like they would be pretty consistently favorites in that game. And that and this has been Detroit all season, right? That we have what one might classify as a representative sample size that tells us this is who Detroit is and this is who Detroit has been all season. Which is why I'm not jumping the gun at the fact that Detroit lost two games within a span of four days. I know they beat the, the Bears for all intents and purposes. They lost two games within four days. And the formula for beating Detroit is kind of out there, right? Like Detroit's defense is not as atrocious as it was a year ago, but it is the shortcoming on that team. They're ranked 10th in the league in team defense prior to the game against the Green Bay Packers where they gave up I mean, they gave up 29 points, but again, Jonathan Owens had the strip six that went back the other way, so they really only gave up 21 points against the Green Bay Packers, but I assume their defensive rankings will decrease. The thing that Detroit does really, really well is score points against opponents, and that's the reason why Detroit finds themselves at the top of the league. They are a top five offense in the NFL, and their defense is solid enough to keep them at the top of the league. And by the way, put them in a position where they're 8-3 and three, and only when Jared Goff gets them in trouble by turning the ball over does that become a problem for them. And by the way, Jared Goff has been, for all intents and purposes, a top 8 quarterback in the NFL since we said that this whole, ex this whole rebuild was going to go sideways for Detroit now, the whole way through and through, the thing I've said is like, we do this thing where if you don't have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, then you're constantly searching for a replacement option at the quarterback position. And while I think that's true, you can also get stuck in the cycle of hanging on to a bridge quarterback who's on the precipice of a potential injury. And if you go bridge quarterback on the precipice of a potential injury, then that's not the position that's not better than the position you were in previously with your tier 4 or what i call Jimmy Garoppolo purgatory or Ryan Tannehill purgatory like you're not always in a better position just by jumping off the quarterback this is the thing that people i i see with Kirk Cousins most recently is like Kirk Cousins is probably not going to be the Vikings quarterback next year seems to be the conclusion most people are coming to and the Vikings are only as good as their options as they have been for the last five 
seasons. The Vikings are only as good as the options that they have available to them. The Minnesota Vikings have not prioritized drafting rookie quarterbacks. I know they took Kellen Mond in the third round. I'm not going to call that prioritizing a rookie quarterback that could potentially compete with Kirk Cousins. The backup quarterbacks in Minnesota have very often been quarterbacks who are Sean Mannion and now Jaron Hall and guys who they were never expecting to come in because Kirk Cousins is usually a picture of health, hence why they've now gone to the Josh Dobbs situation. And I think they're going to stick around with Kirk Cousins, even as Kirk Cousins can be incredibly frustrating because they are only as good as their options. The New York Giants gave Daniel Jones all that money, and the money is going to be the thing that's laughable because, one, they didn't have to pay him that much. He wasn't worth that much, and no one else in the league was going to offer that much, which is why it's so funny that they gave Daniel Jones that contract extension. But if you look at the performance of Daniel Jones over the four years of his NFL career, like I could understand looking up and saying, we don't want to start over with Daniel Jones with the cycle all over again. Daniel Jones has been a half, has been an average to below average NFL quarterback. And when you gave him a support system that he didn't have his first two and a half years in the league, you started to see some of the results that could get you optimistic about keeping Daniel Jones around for like the same length of time that the Raiders kept Derek Carr around, right? And that was the whole conversation people were having with Jared Goff, right? Is like, this is a placeholder. Goff was a, a deadweight contract that they took on in order to get an extra first round pick from the Rams. And if you look at Jared Goff's Lions tenure, he has been an average to above average quarterback for now all three seasons that he has been in Detroit, which by the way, matches the production that he had in three of his four seasons with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, He had a 90 passer rating his last year when he fell apart with Sean McVay. And there was whispers about McVay telling him the plays in his ear in order to keep things steady for him. The year they went to the Super Bowl, he had a 100.5 passer rating and the year that secured him uh, essentially the new contract or the year he they went to the Super Bowl he was 100.1 and the year before that he had 28 touchdowns and seven interceptions the exact same stat line that he had the following season with or, or sorry in his second season with Detroit 29 touchdowns seven interceptions 99.3 passer rating his second season with the Rams 28 touchdowns seven interceptions 100.5 passer rating we can call a spade a spade like Jared Goff is an average to above average quarterback in the NFL and what the NFL has been lacking the last two seasons is average to above average quarterbacks because offense has been down across the league as we talked about Tuesday on our Eagles versus Kansas City postgame show offense has been down across the league for a couple of years now people are running less plays than they ever have before to try and limit the mistakes and limit the turnovers and and it's a game theory thing that goes back and forth along with some other factors I'm not smart enough to explain because I'm not the deepest X's and O's guy in the entire world but it's so interesting that even as the offense has changed across the sport. Jared Goff's numbers have stayed consistent year to year. Jared Goff, the the league average passer rating is 91.6. That is an average NFL passer rating. Jared Goff has exceeded 91.6 in all three of his seasons with Detroit. He was a 91.7 the year that they went 3-14. He was a 99.3 in 2022. 
and he's a 96.9 in 2023. A number that, by the way, was over 100 in passer rating and top 10 in QBR prior to him having these atrocious two weeks where he had three interceptions against the Bears and a strip six against the uh, against the Green Bay Packers. His numbers have dipped as a result of those turnovers. And he doesn't really have a fumbling problem, but it's it's not perfect either. But he's able to complete two out of every three passes that he throws. And he has a touchdown-to-interception ratio somewhere between two and three. And his passer ratings are always somewhere between league average and eighth place in the league. Like, Jared Goff is somewhere between an eight to 14 quarterback in the NFL. And the Detroit Lions are smart enough to look up and say the best of our options is to support that quarterback and think that it will get us further than we have ever been before. Now, the Detroit Lions are not the San Francisco 49ers. Their talent evaluation process could not get them enough talent to go from being 3-14 and 14 to being better than the San Francisco 49ers. It's just not going to be able to happen within a span of two years. They are not better than the Philadelphia Eagles, but they don't need to be that. The, the, the Detroit Lions are this spicy team that is not one of the five teams that we think can win the Super Bowl or six teams that can win the Super Bowl, but they're right on the edge of 7, 8, and 9. And like I said before, if the Detroit Lions, with their above-average quarterback, make it to a home playoff game for the first time in 25 years and get a win against the Seahawks or a win against the Vikings, they will have had a hugely successful season. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It will be a successful season, and that's the healthy perspective we should take. Gosh, we feel so much better about the Thanksgiving Spectacular Detroit Lions segment. Every year, Thanksgiving is such a good way to reconvene and process our feelings on the Detroit Lions. It's never interesting with the Dallas Cowboys, especially the last three years. The Dallas Cowboys have been basically the exact same team. They're going to go 12-5. and They might host a playoff game. They might win a playoff game. But they're going to get to the second round and lose to the 49ers or lose to the Eagles. Maybe that's the territory that the Lions are in this year. Maybe that's why uh, we can just copy and paste this same analysis for Dallas. Dak Prescott is a, is a Tier 3 quarterback's above average most of the time, a quarterback worth investing large amounts of money into, and also when he turns the ball over, they don't have the same margin of error as other teams do. Maybe it's just the exact same analysis between the Dallas Cowboys and the Detroit Lions. Just flip it around, right? Like the, the, the thing the Cowboys do great is they have an elite defense and an offense that's able to keep things afloat just enough for them to get to the second round of the playoffs. Maybe Dallas is going to lose to the Eagles. The Lions are going to lose to the Niners. Maybe that's the game this year for those two teams. Just just copy and paste that analysis. By the way, we're recording this right now. The, the Cowboys are up 
20 to 10 in the third quarter on Washington. I'm just going to assume Dallas wins. I don't really care if Dallas wins or loses. Like Dallas is just going to Dallas is going to end up 12 and 5 somehow. Washington we know sucks. They got their ass handed to them by Tommy DeVito last week. Um, <laughs> Juju was joking about Eric Bieniemy getting one of those 10 head coaching jobs. I was like, "Hell no, Eric Bieniemy ain't getting no head coaching job. He's going to be looking for a coordinator job at the end of this season. I mean, god damn, Washington is going to fire some people at the end of this whole season. They're about to be 4 and 8, man. That shit is terrible. They thought Sam Howell was going to be a, a viable long-term option at the quarterback position. Hell no. That that ain't going to work for the Maringue, the general manager, and Ron Rivera, nah, that that ain't gonna fly. But hey, Ron Rivera should be should be good enough to get a third head coaching job. Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll get one of those crappy head coaching jobs that come available this year. He's a former Super Bowl coach. John Fox went to the Super Bowl one time, and he got three head coaching jobs. Lovey Smith went to the the Super Bowl one time, and he got three head coaching jobs. Ron Rivera should be getting fired by Washington and will be good enough to get a shitty third head coaching job. Who's, whatever the worst job that comes available is, Ron Rivera will get it. Let, let's put it that way. Ron Rivera will get whatever the worst head coaching job that comes available is. By the way, since we're just throwing jokes out here right now, and we'll get to Zach Wilson getting benched and the Jets being infuriating because they're the same 7-10 and 10 team with an elite defense and a truly, truly awful offense that isn't keeping shit afloat. Like the, the, the thing that separates the Cowboys from the Jets is just the Cowboys have an offense that won't drive the whole thing off a cliff. The Jets have Zach Wilson and Tim Boyle and Mike White and Trevor Semyon and a bunch of skill position players that we think are good. We know Garrett Wilson's really good, but it doesn't matter because they haven't scored a touchdown in 40 consecutive possessions of football. Um, since we're out here making jokes, let's talk about the the, the Green Bay Packers. Because the NFL has a lot of average teams. Next week, we're going to get to do the Mixies Awards. Uh, actually, next Thursday. Next Thursday is going to be the Mixies Awards on the show. Our annual celebration of teams that are perfectly mid perfectly average some are going to make the playoffs some are going to miss out on the playoffs some are going to be part of what i like to call get up out the paint week which is the second to last week of the season when one result comes through and like four teams disappear from the in the hunt graphic they were in there still on a technicality and then like the chargers will clinch a playoff spot and then i think last year was the chargers clinching a playoff spot and it just wiped out four teams that were in the hunt all at once and there's a lot of average in the NFL because this year especially, there are six teams that we know are good enough to win the Super Bowl. There's six more teams that we know are really good at football. They're going to lose when they eventually play on the road against one of those six teams that can win the Super Bowl. But like the Seahawks are a good football team this year. And Kenneth Walker is one of the best offensive weapons in the NFL, and their defense is currently ranked, I'm going to look up their DVOA real quick on the fly, their defense is ranked 19th in the league. That's an average defense with an offense that is top 10 in the league. Like, the Seahawks are not going to go very far in the playoffs, but they are a pretty good football team. Uh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, a pretty good football team. Like, there are... 12 NFL teams that are worth a damn this season. And 
Then there's just average for like 16 teams on down. Because if I told you who are the awful, awful teams in the NFL this year, you'd probably say like six teams that are truly awful. And you'd say six teams that are really good. And then there's like 20 teams that are in a gluttonous middle. A a gluttonous middle of the pack for the next 20 teams. And it's interesting to think about that because the Green Bay Packers, even among the mid, stand out as being perfectly mid. I said coming into this season, there's one team that I feel most confident about predicting their record. It was that the Packers would go 7-10. and 10. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, is that when the Green Bay Packers were 13-3, and three, and they made it to the NFC Championship game in 2019, and they got the brakes beat off them by the San Francisco 49ers, and that was the year the Niners lost the Super Bowl to Kansas City. That year was... The year that Aaron Rodgers started looking like a game manager and they had a really good wide receiver in Devontae Adams and some great pieces on defense. From that point forward, Brian Gutekunst, the general manager of the Green Bay Packers, had a three-year plan to replace every player on the team. They were going all in on those three years and then they had a plan to replace every single player on the team. I'll tell you exactly what the plan was right there. Aaron Rodgers, we know what they did. They drafted Jordan Love in the first round in 2020. Aaron Jones, they drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round in 2020. Devontae Adams, they drafted Christian Watson at the top of the, the, uh, the, top of the second round in 2021. Robert Tunyon, they drafted Luke Musgrave in the second round of the draft. Uh, Zadarius Smith, who was their star edge rusher, who they paid a bunch of money to, drafted Rashawn Gary in the first round. Uh, Preston Smith, who was opposite him during the, the bulk of that winning, they went and drafted Lucas Van Ness. Jair Alexander was someone they wanted to keep around. They extended him. On the flip side, they drafted Eric Stokes in the first round as the replacement cornerback. Uh, you can go to the middle of the defense, too. They've got some other pieces in there, but I won't go down the whole list of, of guys who play for the, the Green Bay Packers. They had a vision to replace every single player on the team within three years. And they executed that vision basically to a T. The problem is they just drafted none of the impact players compared to the ones that they had on the team. If they had hit on some draft picks the way that Baltimore hit on some draft picks by getting Kyle Hamilton with the 14th pick, by getting uh, Michael Owe at the end of the first round, by drafting Zay Flowers at 22, if and by the way, having Lamar Jackson be the foundation of your team instead of driving off Aaron Rodgers at the end, like if they had stuck to the plan, it might have gone more smoothly in Green Bay. But they just didn't hit on the players. Like Jordan Love is a fine piece to pick up, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. Christian Watson is a nice piece, but he ain't Devontae Adams. Like, they, they had a vision to replace every player on the team. And look, Rashawn Gary is an excellent player and an excellent piece. Zadarius Smith made an all-pro in 2019. Like, they were they had a vision to replace everyone. And this happens. Like, the best, the best of teams don't have it work out. They just did not develop their draft picks, did not hit on some of their draft picks. And now, by the way, they're at the end of the old regime. This is the best it's going to get with this core of that team. With Love in his fourth year and A.J. Dillon in his fourth year, like they they pivoted. They pivoted between keeping everyone together 
and then re-signing Aaron and, and they did the whole last dance thing. We still have the last dance promo. Here, I'll play it real quick for you. I'll play it right now. is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers camp and and that's I don't want to be here in this sport that has a shorter lifespan of players than any other you know careers are shorter you often have to replace players constantly etc etc in that sport with the Green Bay Packers they you know with Aaron Rodgers' help, ran off the greatest quarterback they've ever had in franchise history, traded away Devontae Adams, Robert Tunyon walked out the door, they ended up bringing back Aaron Jones, and he stuck around probably a year too long because he, he got a giant contract offer from the Dolphins and ended up staying in Green Bay for slightly less money than the Dolphins were offering. Aaron Jones stuck around a year longer. Aaron Rodgers stuck around a year longer before ultimately being driven out of town. Like, they were just trying to replace players that were just so good. And, th- by the way, should have won more out of. Like, the the Packers won 39 games in the regular season in three years. And all they have to show for it is one NFC Championship game loss to the 49ers one NFC Championship game loss to Tom Brady, and one NFC Championship uh, NFC Divisional round loss against the 49ers in the snow, and they had a blocked punt and a blocked field goal that derailed them. They were the number one or number two seed in the, the NFC three consecutive years. They had a hugely successful run. Okay, they didn't win a championship. Tough, tough shit. It happens. You know, like Buffalo's going through the same thing right now. They made an AFC Championship game, lost a couple tough playoff games. Now the window is closing and you have to replace some players. The Packers' vision for replacing players was there. The vision was there. They just did not execute. And, you know, sometimes you can blame, you know, general managers' jobs are to execute. There is only but so many talented players. And the Packers selected players who have not been terrible but have also not been as good as they were liking. And all of that adds up to me looking up and saying, of all the mid and all the average in the NFL, the Packers are the most 7-10 and 10 team in the NFL. And this result this week gets them to 5-6. and six. And I'm telling you, the Packers are going to finish 7-10. and 10. It is written, foretold. I told you at the start of the season, the, the, the team I felt most confident about their prediction was the Green Bay Packers. And now the Packers... Are set are five and six, despite the fact that the Chargers threw that game away on Sunday, which we've talked about in depth. And you know who they play the rest of the season? They play Kansas City. That's a loss. So they'll be five and seven. Then they got the Giants on the road, home against the Bucks, at the Panthers, at the Vikings, then against Chicago. They might end up eight and nine, but I'm telling you, they're gonna find a way to get to seven and ten. Maybe they lose to Tommy DeVito on a Monday night football game. 
Maybe they lose to the Bears at home. They're going to get to 7-10. and It's going to be the most 7-10 and of all the 7-10 and teams, and that's what Brian Gutekunst built for you after... Keeping a team after building a team around the greatest wide receiver in the NFL and a, a quarterback that won two MVPs while you were general manager. The pivot was a seven and ten team. And look, the Buffalo Bills might be ten and seven, and the the extra couple wins might be because of Josh Allen. Who knows? But the pivot, the pivot didn't work because this is the best it's going to get with this core. Jared, Jordan Love ain't getting that much better. Aaron Jones ain't getting that much better. A.J. Dillon's in year four. I don't understand why he's not better, but he is what he is at this point. And it'll be interesting to see how the most 7-10 team comes back next year, might run it back again, and be the same 7-10 team that I've come to know and love. And I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for to get to 7-10 because it was in question whether they were going to get to 7-10. Not too long ago, there was a question mark about whether or not they were going to get to 7-10. And And now after beating the Chargers and beating the Lions on the road, it's looking like they got a pretty good chance of getting to 7-10. They're already 5-7. I know their record's 5-6. They're going to get smoked by Kansas City. They're already at 5-7. They can get there. I see the vision. They can get to 7-10. and 10. The most 7-10 and 10 team I have seen and felt great about since Washington two years ago. Washington two years ago with the Washington football team that had, uh, who, was their, who was their quarterback? Oh, God. It wasn't, um, it wasn't Alex Smith. It was Heineke. It was the year Heineke was there. When Heineke was quarterbacking Washington, the previous season, they went 7-10 and 10 and made the playoffs. And they ran it back with the exact same team, added like Curtis Samuel as a receiver, and put Heineke in at quarterback. I was like, oh, this is 7-10. and 10. It was the second game of the season. They were playing the New York Giants. And uh, that was the game where like the Washington defender jumped off sides and then the Giants got a second chance and they made the game-winning field goal. That was the game that I'm like, this team is going to go 7-10. and 10. And that team went 7-10. and 10. This year's Packers team with Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, Christian Watson, Romeo Dubes, an offensive line that is eh, but also not impeccable. That Green Bay Packers team, I looked at and I said, you are the most below average of all the NFL teams. You don't do anything well. You don't do anything really, really bad, but you also don't do anything well. You're going to beat some playoff teams. Some playoff teams are going to be frustrated playing against you. But you're also going to drop some stupid games to Tommy DeVito or to the Steelers or to the Vikings or to the Denver Broncos or to the Raiders because Jordan Love's going to throw an interception in the end zone in a two-minute drill. Yeah, you're going to lose some stupid fucking games, but you're also going to beat some playoff teams and they're going to be frustrated and the end result is a spicy 7-10. and 10. And that's exactly where the Green Bay Packers are. That's exactly where the Green Bay Packers exist as and where I expect the Green Bay Packers will remain for as long as Jordan Love shall remain their quarterback. Start spreading the news 
I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York Robert Sulla finally pulled the trigger. Zach Wilson going to the bench, but he's not just going to the bench. He's going to the super bench. He is the third stringer behind Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon. Zach Wilson, we may never see him again. Kyle, what's your reaction to the Jets finally pulling the trigger on the Zach Wilson era? It's like the Olivia Rodrigo song, getting deja vu, man. The same thing happened this exact same time last year. We just tossed Zach Wilson aside. But at least back then they had a backup quarterback they actually like. Now it's just Tim Boyle, who wasn't anything in the, the cleanup job against Buffalo on Sunday. He's just not Zach Wilson. And look, man, the Jets have maybe the worst offense in the NFL. This season's a wash for them because in this year's AFC, it's looking like to guarantee yourself a playoff spot, you got to get 10 wins. And they're sitting at four and six right now. And I, they're playing the Dolphins with Tim Boyle. I don't think that's going to go their way. So, uh, yeah, it's the exact same position they were last year, right? They have this defense that's uh, at a top 10 level in the league. You have an offense that got Brees Hall back and showed signs of life with Zach Wilson. And now we're back to we don't have a quarterback and we're going to go 7-10. and 10. It's the exact same season as last year for the New York Jets, like tit for tat, the exact same season. And the pieces that they tried to bring in to, to make this season work, all of them are unhappy. All of them are deeply unhappy. McCole Hardman left the Jets to go back to Kansas City. And he alluded to like, hey, there's some behind the scenes shit going on there. They just waved Michael Carter this week. He got picked up by the Cardinals. And Michael Carter was saying, hey, there's some behind the scenes stuff that I won't get into. But it kind of played into why I'm leaving. Like, everyone is desperately unhappy. They're going to go 7-10 and 10, despite having a top 10 defense. It, it Again, it's like deja vu. The exact same season as last year all over again for the Jets. Now, I understand a lot of Jets fans will say they mismanaged the quarterback position, and I think that that's fair. But I think at the end of the day, it's it just proven that Zach Wilson is just not a capable NFL quarterback. He might not even be a capable NFL backup because we've seen him go in. And I will say there was like one week, like his like 30 second drive against the Giants where, OK, that was something. But it was only because he was miserable for the first like 50 minutes of that game that we even had to get to that point. And that's basically summarizes his entire season is the Jets had a win despite Zach Wilson the majority of their time. We go back to the Eagles win, which is a great win for the Jets this season. But the Eagles win was because they got gift wrapped a late interception by Jalen Hurts. Let's not forget. If that doesn't happen, then we're talking about this Jets season already being over at three and seven. At four and six, they're still fighting chance. Of course, we saw the report that Aaron Rodgers uh, wants to start practicing by December uh, 2nd, I believe. That would be right before the Falcons game. You know, that's some promising stuff for the Jets if they were able to get to that point. But now uh, they have this Dolphins game on Black Friday. Um, I, again, that goes into the Falcons game. They got another tough game against the Texans after that. So they, they would have preferred to have been like 5-5 five and five 
with a possibility of Rodgers return, but just the utter incompetence by Wilson out there. And that's what kind of makes it weird as well for me. The fact that Robert Sola just kind of kept putting Zach Wilson out there, I think is a huge indictment on him. He knew this wasn't going well. The Jets knew this wasn't going well in the offseason. Joe Douglas honestly should have made a better move at backup quarterback in the offseason over Zach Wilson because they were not satisfied with the quarterback position. Then they bring in Tim Boyle. So talking about Tim Boyle, the only reason the guy's on an NFL roster is because apparently he's friends with Aaron Rodgers because Tim Boyle did nothing in his college career. I don't know if anyone's seen the stat trending around, but in his time at UConn, this man had in three seasons, one touchdown and 13 interceptions. Then he goes to Eastern Kentucky division two, and he has uh, I want to say like 12 to 13 touchdown interception ratio. So at no, no point in his college and professional playing career has he ever had a positive touchdown to interception ratio. Hey, if you're one of those that's still in the camp that Colin Kaepernick needs to be back in the league, point to Tim Boyle. This is a guy you point to and say, well, Cap might be better than that guy at least. How is Tim Boyle in the league? In fact, I would make the case right now that Trevor Simeon, should be starting over Tim Boyle. I I don't understand the decision. It just seems like self-sabotage by the Jets to one, start Zach Wilson for as long as they did. And then two, the immediate pivot is to put in Tim Boyle as the starting quarterback. And all this too, in the last five, six weeks, when you had a chance to sign Carson Wentz, and I know a lot of people don't love Carson Wentz. They hear Carson Wentz and they go, ick. But Carson Wentz, at least two years ago, had a 27 to 7 touchdown interception ratio. You're telling me that that wouldn't have helped on this Jets team, that he would have not been an adequate backup while you waited for Aaron Rodgers, potentially. Or if Aaron Rodgers didn't come back, at least gave you a fighting chance to maybe even win a playoff game. I I think that there was just mismanagement at the quarterback position all year. And Tim Boyle is ultimately you reap what you sow for the Jets. And I, I feel sorry for Jets fans this year in a year that was supposed to be so optimistic. They dug in their heels on Zach Wilson, right? They they dug in their heels on, this is why we kept him around. This is why he's the backup quarterback. We invested first round draft capital and they dug their heels in on Zach Wilson. And I don't, I don't blame them for doing that because of how much they had invested in Zach Wilson's success. And, and sometimes you do get bit in the butt by doubling down on your own mistakes. But I don't think any of those things would have changed the outcome of the season for the Jets because they're already overachieving. <laughs> That's the messed up part of this. Like they beat the Buffalo Bills that first game of the season. Buffalo gave that game away. And then we saw last week Buffalo clearly a better team than the New York Jets. Clearly better than the Jets. They gave that game away. And then the Jets obviously beat the Eagles in what is still the Eagles' only loss of the season so far. So, like, this thing is an overachievement so far. And I know that uh, four and six sound still. You still got a puncher's chance because you're only a game half behind the Texans for the seventh spot. You know how many teams you're going to have to jump to catch them? Six. You have to jump six teams right now to get from four and six into the playoffs right now. It's just not going to happen for the New York Jets. And so from the quarterback standpoint, I mean, sure, maybe Carson Wentz, who everyone in the last three places he's gone has said, we want nothing to do with this person anymore. Maybe that would have done something for you. Maybe picking up Brett Rippin off the practice squad would have done something for you. But uh, once once Aaron Rodgers went down, once Zach Wilson started getting in his own head again, because remember, Zach Wilson went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes on a Sunday night football game. 
Zach Wilson had his moments this year, but Zach Wilson's gotten into his own head. They've good fences, and now this is a real stat that is crazy. Now the Jets have not scored a touchdown in 40 consecutive possessions, and I just don't think that any quarterback coming in, any any old quarterback off the street that the rest of the league didn't want, I don't think that would have done anything to change the the position that they're in right now. So, I mean, if you're going to go down, go down with the guy that you're hoping to make a reclamation project out of, I guess. I, I don't think that there's any reclamation to be made here. I, I don't blame the Jets for thinking that maybe at the start of the season they could have, especially if they could have sat him on the bench the entire year. Because... That was the goal, right? And keeping Zach Wilson is, well, let's go back to redshirting him. Let's place it behind Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he picks up some stuff and a year, maybe two years down the line, we can try this again with Zach and see if maybe he's made some positive strides. And obviously week one had different ideas, you know, like four snaps in the NFL football gods had different ideas on what Zach Wilson's season was going to be. And that's why he just got thrust in the line of duty. But after like three weeks, like, I, I guess, you again, you could point to the Chiefs game and say that, OK, we saw positive strides. But even in that game, the late fumble, I, I think, still should have been a red flag to, oh, yeah, the same old Zach Wilson is in there. The fumbles, the interceptions, the just basic inability to complete a pass because you have open wide receivers. You just see him back there just like looking around, looking around, scanning, scanning, dancing, and then just throwing to nobody. Like that stuff, it just still happens. Go back to the old Sam Darnold quote of seeing ghosts against the Belichick defense. I feel like every time Zach Wilson steps on the field, he's seen ghosts. And now it's in his head. And I think, unfortunately, he's just a broken player. He's a broken player, and I don't think there's any going back. I don't know what his next phase of his career is. I'm going. To, I'm sure he's going to end up somewhere, some team, because even Josh Rosen bounced around a couple teams before he eventually burnt out. Here's a fun question. Uh, if I told you you had to keep him for a minimum of five years, Josh Rosen, Johnny Manziel, or Zach Wilson to start your franchise, go, Kyle. <laughs> for five years? I, I don't know. Josh Rosen did win a game in Lambeau Field. I'm just saying. Josh Rosen got Mike McCarthy fired because he went into Lambeau and won. So I guess he's got that working for him. Uh, but I just... The Zach Wilson... Okay, so the Zach Wilson thing is interesting because like the strategy was sound prior to the season, right? He's a, he is your ba- he's, he's a, presumably a pretty good backup quarterback. He was drafted ahead of Trey Lance and Justin Fields and Mac Jones back in the 2021 draft class. Like, surely he is a sound backup quarterback option. I, I can understand the pushback after 105 seconds into the season, Aaron Rodgers ripped up his Achilles, but... Again, it wouldn't have changed the outcome. It just would have been, you know, admitting that we're done with Saxon. Right? They have given him more leash than most teams would in that situation. In the in the sport where there's so much pressure to find the quarterback and to win while they're on the rookie contract, unless you can find one of the eight quarterbacks that's worth a damn to extend for the next ten years, like there's so much pressure on trying to find the quarterback that people sometimes give quarterbacks too short a leash when we're talking about the Dolphins looking at Tom Brady instead of Tua or whatever you want to point to. The, the the Jets have given him more of a leash than I think most teams would given the performance that he has put forth now across three seasons. And and this, this was something that was more normal 20 years ago. Like pre-2011 CBA, 
that changed the rookie salary structures. This was a, this was a normal thing. Like Joey Harrington got five years to try and figure it out with the Detroit Lions. Like it was more normal to have quarterbacks that got this much of an effort. And maybe we bring in not quite an Aaron Rodgers, but just bring in a quarterback to compete with the rookie and maybe the rookie wins the starting job or maybe the veteran wins the starting job. This was more normal and giving him room to, to work. And obviously it's over now because if you're putting him behind Tim Boyle and uh, Trevor Semyon for essentially the second year in a row, because like Mike White was Tim Boyle and Marcus and, and Trevor Semyon last year. So like if, if this is the second, this fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, because th- this one is... This is the end for Zach Wilson, the end of the line for him getting jobs in the NFL or getting to start. I shouldn't say get to start. Again, there's like half the league has a backup quarterback by week 12 every year. And like four or five teams are on their Tommy DeVito quarterback by this time. So never say never <laughs> in terms of getting back on the field. But yeah. it's it's a wrap first taking Zach Wilson seriously. But of the of the three options you gave me, Josh Rosen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe they should have gave him a call. Maybe that would have been the key. Trade back for Sam Darnold. Hell, I, I think the biggest thing that the Aaron Rodgers thing is it just exposed the warts underneath the surface for the New York Jets as a whole because Nathaniel Hackett still a bad play caller. The offensive line still bad. Now I see a lot of Jets fans just writing off all of Zach Wilson's failures to the OC and the offensive line. But I would just say after the three years of sample size that we do have on Zach Wilson, uh, calling a spade a spade isn't that hard. Calling a bust a bust isn't that hard. It It is just ultimate failure at a draft pick. It's It just shows ultimately that there was no right choices to be made uh, beyond Trevor Lawrence in that draft <laughs> because Trey Lance can't get out of the, being a third stringer. Justin Fields, still unknown. Mac Jones, we know he's a bust, but he was still probably been a better player. Honestly, if you put Mac Jones on this team, he's probably at least more competent than Zach Wilson is. So uh, I would say that at least, right? Yeah, probably. Justin Fields would be too. Like, let's not just totally throw Justin Fields aside. Like, he finished 10th in the MVP last year. But no, Zach Wilson is the worst of the... Oh, well, Trey Lance is there. But no, Zach Wilson's probably worse than Trey Lance. I, at least with Trey Lance, I don't know. <laughs> with Zach Wilson, I know he sucks. <laughs> yeah, that that will be a fun like question to ask revisionists. Like, Trey Lance or Zach Wilson, who was the tougher bust? Because, you know, Trey, you have to also factor in the added draft picks that got thrown in there. The difference there is, of course, the Niners got gift wrap Brock Purdy in the Jets case if they can get Aaron Rodgers I guess it's at back at any point I guess it still forgives something but it just sucks in a win now window that you wasted a season you wasted five weeks six weeks whatever it was trying to like make Zach Wilson just work you know you wasted two seasons two seasons this defense was better last year than this year's team that defense was better last but year, I don't and they begr- still are 7-10. and 10. But I don't begrudge you for last season because a year two starting quarterback, I can still forgive it. Year three is a little bit different when you already replaced the guy, when you already made the decision to replace the guy versus year two where it's like, well, you know, like, okay, maybe that first rookie season, because a lot of QBs don't have great rookie seasons. We can excuse that. Let's just hope for a sophomore jump. And that just never came. And I think what's worse about the Zach Wilson era, looking back, 
is think how many quarterbacks actually succeeded, at least for a game or two, with the New York Jets in a small sample size. Josh Johnson threw for like 400 yards as a New York Jets quarterback during Zach Wilson's time. Mike White had a couple of terrific games as a New York Jets quarterback during Zach Wilson's time. Joe Flacco, I want to say, even had like a 300, 400-yard day, won the Jets a couple games during Zach Wilson's time. So who knows? Maybe Tim Boyle actually will have like an electric day that we just don't see coming. I just don't see it based off his career resume as a quarterback. It it suggests more like janitor than quarterback to me. If Tim Boyle goes out there and balls out, then that just further just stake in the heart on Zach Wilson's time with the New York Jets franchise. All right, guys. Well, the Jets finally made the move. They finally pulled the trigger. What do you think? Do you think that they can get back on track now that they do have a different signal caller? like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. Leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.